I want to thank our music ministry for lifting up our hearts and spirits, putting us in God's presence. I don't know about you, but I could hear those combined choirs every Sunday. Isn't that great? That's, a, that's the way to exalt the Lord. Let me invite your attention to Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse number uh, 32. You'll have in front of you some new pew Bibles, which a couple in our church have donated. They're the same translation I'm using in the pulpit. And I want you to have your eyes on the New King James Version, which I use from the pulpit, and which is the translation of the pew Bible in front of you. And we're going to begin reading in a moment, verse 32 through 40, aloud. I'm going to ask you to remain seated. Uh, as we do, but uh, I want to ask you to have your eyes on a copy of God's Word, Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 32 through 40 in just a moment, and we will read this aloud in just uh, in a little bit later in the message. Uh, a survey was taken of about a thousand people, and they were asked if for just one day you could trade places with someone, who would you trade places with? Now, I've got a long list, a very admirable list, but uh, one particular woman said, I would trade places with my autistic son so I could see the world through his eyes. Uh, another person said, I would trade places with the person who donated his heart to me It had a heart transplant. Someone said, I would trade places with Billy Graham so I could have his faith and trust God like that. Well, many of the people that we would trade places with are found here in Hebrews 11. Uh, even a few of them in verse number 32, and specifically because of their faith. Here in this text, in Hebrews 11, Luke described how biblical heroes made a difference when they embraced faith, when they trusted God as a way of life. And let's begin reading aloud in verse number 32. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, whom women received their dead raised to life again, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. We can make a difference when we embrace faith. Now, what... Um, what about faith do I need to embrace? Well, there are several things that arise from the text here. And the first is this. Embrace the Father's exaltation of faith. Look at verse 32. Here you're going to find judges and kings and prophets who did that very thing. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, judges. Also David and David the king and Samuel uh, and the prophets. Uh, Samuel and the prophets obviously being 
prophets. In other words, he said, I would fail to have enough time to tell about all of these and their walk with God by faith because there are just so many of them. And here they are in the text being exalted by God. Listen, God exalts the way of faith. God cherishes faith. God treasures faith. God values faith. Faith is a driving force in God's relationship with us. In fact, God appreciates the life of faith so much that He will intentionally and purposefully arrange our lives to where we've got to trust Him, we've got to place faith in Him in order to do His will. In other words, one of the ways you can tell that you're probably pretty close to the will of God and doing what God wants you to do is that your teeth chatter and your knees knock and God is constantly putting you in a position to do that very thing. That's how God operates. There is no rest from faith in uh, the Christian walk that is obedient to God. God exalts the way of faith. And the way to guarantee an effective life is to embrace this, is to walk with God by faith. And the way to guarantee absolute abysmal failure in the Christian life is to reject the way of faith. So do the spiritual disciplines by faith. When you open your Bible and read it, come to God by faith expecting God to give you a word from the Word. When you pray, pray by faith. Remember the promises and come before God and plead with Him and say, Oh God, you said this and now I, I'm, I'm expecting you to come through in the way that you want to. But God, I'm expecting you reverently to come through. Do missions by faith. Involve yourself in the local, the national, the world Christian mission by faith. Um, overcome your past and, and the regrets and the sorrows there by faith. Um, give by faith. Give until you feel it. And, and then date by faith. Trust God. Marry by faith. Continue in marriage by faith. Witness by faith. You'll never have a perfect opportunity. Just share Jesus and His love. Face challenges by faith. And this morning, make things right with God by faith. And thank God that's the way to come. God doesn't say you've got to clean up first and then be made right with me. God promises instead, you come to me by faith and I'll make things right and I'll clean you up. That's the way God does it. Aren't you glad? In other words, we don't have to reach a certain level of sanctification and perfection for God to take notice of us. The moment we place faith in the death and resurrection of His Son, He becomes real and active in our lives and embraces us and approves us when we come to Him by faith. So, embrace the Father's exaltation by faith. So, some of you today, after this message, need to do that very thing. We'll sing a song, and we're going to invite you to give your life to Christ. Some of you need to become part of Beach Haven. You, you've already received Christ, but you need to be baptized. Or if you have been, you need to become part of Beach Haven. Do that by faith. What if you trusted God today to come through with this promise? What if you trusted God with His Word? What if you exalted faith like God did? What would you do after the message during the invitation? We'll do that very thing. So embrace the Father's exaltation of faith. But there's a second thing. Not only embrace his exaltation of faith, but embrace the full experience of faith. There's a whole gamut of things you've got to experience when you walk with God by faith. And this is reflected in a second century pagan philosopher's statement about the Christians that he saw. It's a very nasty statement, but there, there are some interesting implications to it. He, uh, his, his name was Celsus, and he said, 
of the Christians, their only aim was to convert the worthless and contemptible people. Idiots, slaves, poor women and children. They would not dare to address an audience of intelligent men. Now, that's not true. The Christian faith made a rapid impact in the ancient world because they did win the upper crust of society and the centers of power. So he's entirely wrong on that. But he goes on to say, if they see a group of young people or slaves or rough folk, there they push themselves in and seek to win the admiration of the crowd. It is the same in private houses. We see wool carters and cobblers and washermen, people of the utmost ignorance and lack of education, coming to the Christian faith. That's what he had to say about it. Now, on one hand, there's a blessing here because he's admitting that the early Christian faith was compassionate and open and always should be through all ages and doing all it can to reach out to people and invite them to embrace the exclusive faith of Jesus Christ, to be included in the exclusive faith of Jesus Christ simply by repentance and faith in Christ. So there's the blessing, but there is an enormous battle here as well. The scorn and the hatefulness and the irrational thinking is not unlike our own today. And some of Celsus' offspring are with us in this day, in fact. And they tend to appear an awful lot uh, in Twitter and Facebook and social media. Well, this is what Celsus is saying. And he reveals both the battle and the blessing of walking with God. Now, there are a couple of experiences that you're going to have if you walk with God by faith. The first experience is found in verses 33 through 35, the blessings of faith. Look there with me again. These through faith, here are the blessings, subdued kingdoms. Well, that's Israel and Joshua. They worked righteousness, the Levite priest. They obtained uh, promises, all their prayers. They stopped the mouths of lions. And who do you think of when you think of someone stopping the mouths of lions by faith? Well, Daniel, of course. They quenched the violence of fire. Well, that would be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, such as Gideon. They became valiant in battle. They turned flight the armies of aliens. And then, it goes on to say, women received their dead raised to life again. The widow of uh, Zarephath. And then others, uh, uh, and then it goes on to talk about some of the... um, some of the uh, difficulties that they ended up facing, and I'll talk about that in a moment. The truth is, is that when you walk with God by faith, you gain access to some blessings that you cannot have in doubt. And God has an awful lot. And these people were effective because of the blessings of faith. It reminds me of the movie, Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps. One man asked another, what's your number? How can I buy you? How can I make you a large enough financial offer? What's that number to get you Uh, in my program. And he said, my number is more. I want more of this. And I want to let you know in my own heart, I want more of this life of faith. I want more of the blessings. And God says the number for that is faith. We want more of this because God, when it comes to his blessings, does not measure them out in teaspoons. He doesn't do that. He doesn't measure them out with eyedroppers or syringes. What God does is that when he measures out blessings, he he does it in fire hydrants. And, And taking the blessings of God and placing them in life is like trying to take the Gulf of Mexico and cram it into a kitchen sink. There is more to be achieved and more to experience and more to accomplish by walking with God by faith than walking with him in doubt. So that's the first experience. But then it goes on to talk about the battles of faith in verse 36 through 38. Still others had trial 
of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. We could think of Jeremiah. They were stoned, and Jeremiah was stoned later. They were sawn in two. There's uh, ancient uh, testimony that Isaiah was sawn in two. Uh, They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, like um, similar to John the Baptist, though he was in camel skin, destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, again like John the Baptist, in dens and caves of the earth. So there are blessings that accrue because of faith, but there are also some battles. Nick Ripken uh, happened to be a missionary to Somalia and watched as that country descended into anarchy and fell completely apart. And there was terrible persecution that took place with the people he was winning to the Lord. In fact, he would win them to the Lord with the warning that they could lose their life by giving their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. And he has written of that experience and many others of studying Christians undergoing persecution throughout the world in his book, The Insanity of God. And in that book, he tells uh, four things I want to share with you now. One happens to be his interview of some Russian pastors who, during the days of communism prior to 1991, they underwent enormous persecution. And he gathered with a number of them and listened to their stories as they told him their stories of walking with God by faith in the battles they faced under communism. And after listening to them for several hours, he asked, why in the world have you not written these stories down? And the question surprised them. They were shocked that he would ask such a question. And they were confused. Why would we ever want to write a story down of being persecuted? And then it finally dawned on a Russian pastor. He escorted Nick outside, and he said, look to the east. He said, tomorrow morning the sun will come up there. And you know what? I won't say much about it, because it's normal. He said the same is true when it comes to persecution of us for the faith. It's just the normal thing. You don't write about normal happenstance and ordinary things. The second thing that Nick Ripkin says is that when he talked about talked to um, those from a Muslim background about coming to Jesus Christ, which thousands are every week, or coming to Christ around the world from a Muslim background, he said that he asked them, what are you learning from us in the West? And he said, what we're learning from Westerners is how to be afraid. And then he told the story that right after 9-11, back in 2001, when the Twin Towers collapsed and we were under assault from terrorists, 60% of mission volunteers canceled their mission trip plans. Now that makes perfectly good sense to Americans accustomed to comfort. It didn't make sense to Christians around the world who live with this on a day-by-day basis and who actually thrive by walking with God by faith in these particular circumstances. And one final thing that he says that I found real interesting. He says there is a correspondence between a people group being reached with the gospel and the temperature of their climate. The places where you find the hotter climates means those people groups are less likely to be reached. Christian missionaries oftentimes will avoid places where the temperature and the climate is just too hot. Ladies and gentlemen, by living a faith like that, we are denying blessings to ourselves and the world. So let me be real clear with you. The Christian faith is real and transparent. 
And if you're considering giving your life to Christ today or identifying with this church and joining this church today and following Jesus in real discipleship as a real follower, you need to know it's very possible that you will pay some kind of price. Now, mostly in the United States, people will say ugly things about you. Well, they're saying ugly things about you already. Just why don't you make it worth it is what I would suggest to you. But it's very possible that as the years and decades pass on, that you may pay an increasing price for following Jesus Christ. But God blesses those who walk by faith, but the devil and his crowd engage in battle. Luke chapter 9 verse 23 is a verse that is typical of that which rolled off the lips of Jesus. And this is repeated six times in four Gospels. If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus made that statement in the Gospels at least six times. And he said many other things that drove home that same point. You've got to know that if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you will have to deny yourself. Anything that gets in the way of following Jesus, you're going to have to say no to with as much vigor as you would say to a rattlesnake. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Take up your cross, an instrument of death. Take up your electric chair. Take up the lethal cocktail with which prisoners are put to death in states with execution. Take that up. In other words, just go ahead and determine you're going to die to self and die to all your goals, die to your opinions, die to your aspirations, die to everything, and abandon yourself so Jesus Christ can fill you up with his life. Deny yourself and then follow me. Wherever Jesus goes, that is where you go. Let me put it this way, what Ken Witten said. He said, Jesus is the end of your problems, the front end. He's also the front end of all your blessings. And the way to experience this, the full experience of faith, is to walk with Him by faith. And you just have to be careful. You can't nuance this Christian faith thing and, and, and be... Um, obvious and be transparent with the right crowd and be mousy and wimpy and um, fearful with the wrong crowd. You just have to be open about Jesus. You've got to be who you are. And when God puts you in Jesus Christ, you belong to him and you become very, very proud of Jesus Christ. If you don't, then what you'll do, you'll end up missing people that you could reach and that you could when it's time to go public for Jesus. And that's why we do a public invitation at the end of every one of our messages on Sunday morning. And we invite people to go publicly because Jesus, everyone Jesus called, he called publicly. And he gave a very lovely promise and, and a serious warning. He said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who's in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who's in heaven. I'll be gloriously proud of you if you openly profess me before others and there'll be shame, nothing but shame for those who deny me. Well, Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. But there's a third thing about faith that we need to embrace if we're going to walk by faith. And that is embrace the future emphasis of faith. <laughs> Reminds me of the uh, woman who said, when I was young, my parents stuffed me full of candy and I didn't know if they wanted a child or a pinata. 
they weren't thinking very much about, uh, about her future uh, and all by stuffing her with candy. And her crowd, uh, their crowd, may still be with us. They did in verses 39 through 40. Look there with me again. All these, having obtained a good testimony or approval from God, through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Well, they walked by faith and they focused on the future. They made their decisions on the basis of what would bring the best for themselves and their God when it came to the future. Uh, And as a result, look at their testimony in verse 39. They had a good testimony. Some of your translations say they were approved by God by faith. In other words, God is sharing the story that they received his approval because they walk with God by faith. And that is how you get right with God. That is how you make things right with God. When you're embarrassed about things of the past and when you have failed, you come to him by faith, trusting the power of the cross and the resurrection. And then before God, maybe not before everyone, but before God at the very least, you end up having his approval and a good testimony. Well, that's what they had. Now, this is amazing because you look at the names in verse number 32. We could go through every name in verse 32 and identify an abysmal failure and period of decline in their lives. Uh, We could do that with Gideon, who was fearful. Barak and Samson. My goodness, Samson was more effective in his death than he was his life. The most undisciplined ancient person in Israel's history. And he was a judge and failed miserably. Jephthah with a foolish vow, and David, we all know uh, or are familiar with uh, David's challenges with Bathsheba and then how he parented his children. Samuel as well had two of the most rotten kids in the world uh, because of his negligent parenting. We could go through and we could identify several points of failure with each one of these, and yet they came to God by faith and God made it all right. And that's what God will do with you if you'll place faith in Jesus Christ. Well, look also at gratification here. They did not receive the promise. God made a promise of a Messiah, and they died and left this earth and went on to heaven before they ever realized or experienced that promise. That was God's program. That was God's will. And they were willing to walk with God by faith all the way through and delay their gratification. What an important lesson. And then it goes on and talks about the generations. Here's why they did this. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made complete, not morally sinless, but uh, uh, complete apart from us. They were thinking about future generations. They didn't want divided generations. They wanted everyone to be unified in the program and plan of God because they had a need. In other words, these people he's talking about in verse 39 and 40 decided and made their decisions based upon what was best for the future. Every bride does this. When the wedding's coming up, she avoids the cake. And those who are wise, when it comes to their paycheck, set something aside for savings and retirement. And if we're willing to do these things, why not do this with eternity? Faith thinks of the future fallout of our decisions, and God wants us to embrace the future orientation of faith. And so, how do you interact with the world like that when you're thinking about the future orientation of the faith? What do you do with the good news of Christ with someone outside the faith? 
Well, what, what do you do with the gospel of Christ when you encounter someone outside the faith? What is best for that person's future? You give yourself to that then. You share Christ and His love. What would be the best thing for you to do today with your eternity? What's going to be the best thing to do? To sit still and do nothing during our invitation? Or is it better to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ and say yes to Him? What is the future orientation of these issues today and now? And the future is on the way. There's no stopping it. The final day is rushing upon everyone. It is time to make things right with God. It's time to get right. In other words, the future will one day catch up with us, and it will be here. And it is here every moment. It reminds me of the fellow playing a prank on some people in the city, and he wrote 12 of them a note, and it said, All is discovered flee at once, and all 12 of them left town immediately. There was something on their conscience bothering them. If that's where you are today, there's no need to flee. At least, there's no need to flee God. There's a great need to run and rush towards Him because He has handfuls of mercy. He delivers it with fire hydrants, and He gives it in a measure greater than what you would ever need Who could doubt that when you see the marvelous and bloody and excruciating death of Jesus Christ on the cross? He indeed is the saving one. And then he raises him from the dead, which becomes the trajectory of every Christian life. All the rest of life is the resurrection in Jesus Christ. So to come to him means to trust him and to begin to walk by faith. In verse 39, it says, All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, each of these approved by faith. Jesus eliminates the guilt, and He begins to ignite grace. And that's why we urge with intensity, with fervor, with energy, every time we speak and every time we address a crowd, to walk with God by faith and to begin it immediately. There's no good reason to delay. Let's pray together.